You're listening to the Piper Carter podcast on the Detroit is Different podcast network. the Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter. I am here with one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Amazing, amazing human rights activist, national organizer, public speaker. She's a woman MC and she's a published writer and she just does so much for our people. Welcome, Yonajda, Queen Yonajda. <laughs> oh, well, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Piper. You're one of my favorite people, too. So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I want to just jump into what you're doing now before we go back. So tell us about what you got going on, like, right now. Right now. So, um... My name is Janaja Halonewolf, and I am a national community organizer and an activist, and most importantly, um, a mother of two amazing sons. And um, I'm doing, in Atlanta, Georgia, on the third Sunday of every month, I started this organic vibe um, called Revolutionary Healing. Um, being on the front lines of activism, I... I just was like, you know what, there has to be other ways to be able to help our people, to be able to come up with community um, empowerment. And the Honorable Miss Louis Farrakhan said that the basis of community development is self-improvement. And we actually have study guides in the Nation of Islam of the basis of community development is self-improvement. And I was reading that study guide. And I was just like, okay, what's another way that we can be able to, you know, to help the people? Because I just recently got diagnosed with lung cancer um, in May. And I also just recently just got diagnosed with um, cervical cancer in December. So I'm battling um, cancers on, on two different two different parts of my body. And I was just like, you know, I have to keep myself in a high frequency of activism and helping our people. And um, because, you know, of course, as we know, watching videos and we all have dealt with either someone we know or someone we saw have been murdered by police. And that could really put a lot on your spirit. And I just was like, you know what, I can't um, there's other people. It's okay to say there's other people that could be able to fight these fights. And myself being 42 years old, I was just like, you know, I believe that I have helped a lot of mentored, a lot of people that could be able to take on this part of the aspect of, um, of activism. And let me go ahead and um, do another part of it. And that is revolutionary healing. So on the third Sunday of every month, we have activist, I mean, we have presenters, um, that basically present on different components of healing, of community development, of self-improvement. It could be how to start your own business. It could be yoga, meditation. It could be hip hop. We have performers that have came through like Cyrock, 
um, the female um, rapper, she has came and performed. We've had um, Parlay from the Franchise Boys. He has, he's come and did a healing session with him and his wife on the trials that they've been through um, being a hip hop couple. Um, we've had Riza Islam, which is a profound um scholar you know he came and we've had native american representation by my my brother my spiritual brother keith imc um, who is also an amazing mc um but he's also an amazing healer and so and um and so he has been there i mean it's just been and we pick a new location in atlanta no one knows where we're going to be at until they rsvp and um, and so we pick a new location in Atlanta outside certain restrictions because of COVID. We always cap it at a certain amount of people, um, depending on the outside venue space. And we also have COVID compliance and it's mandatory for people to wear masks. But um, and we and then Piper, you know, I, I would be on on so many media outlets trying to promote this. And the only thing we've been promoting it is through the social media with just a simple flyer that says revolutionary healing. And we have been selling out people have been coming and it's been just a dope. So like vibe and, and people are loving it. So, um, so that's what I've been doing is revolutionary healing is, um, and is battling and trying and finding healing for this cancer but also too, at the same token, um, helping our people in that way. Wow. This sounds so amazing. And, you know, I've been keeping up on, you know, you have this great newsletter where you let folks know about, you know, this event as well as your, um, you know, your status and everything. And you're, you're just a great connector of people, (laughs) you know, you're a great organizer I, I learned a lot from you just from um work, you know, being able to work with you with the um hip hop for Flints um that you organize. And I wanna um I wanna go back a little bit into because if folks go um onto your website, which is queenyonajda.com, um that you know, folks will be able to read about you. But um I wanna go back into your sort of activism, you know, history, if you will. Can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the the, the, the pivotal, um, you know, events that you've organized that have helped, you know, to transform situations um, that, that, that were devastating to people? Oh, goodness. So much. Um, I was born with my fist up. I was born in the movement. I was born during the longest walk, which was a protest from Alcatraz, San Francisco to Washington, D.C. by the American Indian Movement. My mother was full blood Ogallala, Lakota, um, Native American from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. My dad is black from Brooklyn, New York. And my mother was doing all the PR work for the longest walk. And um And that's why you may see pictures with Muhammad Ali with Native Americans and things like that. That was because my mother was also the PR director for Don King Enterprises with Muhammad Ali. So she was the woman behind the Thriller Manila, the Rumble in the Jungle and all of that. And I was born during all of this time. And um, and so I. I literally was around, you know, um, Kwame Torre and, and Cesar Chavez and 
you know, and so many amazing honorable men. Louis Farrakhan is my grandfather. And, but, you know, Jesse Jackson, when he was running for president, you know, so I, I was, I was in these rooms at a young girl with all these amazing um, historical figures, you know, and, and also civil rights leaders and stuff. And so I was born with it. So as much as I, try to um, run away from a calling <laughs> because I was around it. So I ended up, I used to dance on BT and I was rapping. I, I released a couple of albums. And, um, but I think that for me, it was, I always felt a need to be able to help our people. And I did that in any way, shape or form that I could um, was just as in high school, I started my first, I mean, I, I started a riot at my high school because uh, um, these skinheads were calling, they, they were calling me the N-word and um, I started a riot. And that from there, NBC Today Show <laughs> caught notice and they ended up following me for like a week talking about race relations with, um, with teenagers at the time. And so with doing music and organizing marches and all of that at a young age, um, I would say the thing for me where I was able to kind of make it my own in regards to something innovative was Hip Hop for Haiti. Um, Hip Hop for Haiti, when I, I just got off a tour with Raekwon on the Bill for Cuban Leaks 2 tour. And when I got off the tour, the hurricane in Haiti happened. And I'm watching the news. And I'm watching the news of, these, of Haitians begging for help. And the news was just recording them. And I was just like, we have to help them. Like something like they were just begging for help. And everyone was watching it just and tweeting about it and Facebook about it. And, and um, like, oh my God, this is horrible, horrible, horrible. And I'm like, this is more than like, we can do something like the, the Red Cross, like no one's there. And within 10 days, I put it on my social media and I said, um, Anyone down to do a fundraising event in Arizona? Because I was living in Arizona at the time for a concert, a fundraising concert, a benefit concert for the people of Haiti. And I posted on my Facebook and people from all across the country. And I, I had all these followers because I just got off a tour with Raekwon. Um, so, you know, there was like a, a you know, people start, people start knowing me nationally and, um, they was like, I want to do something in my city, not just Phoenix, not, you know. So in 10 days, I organized 32 cities to do a fundraising event all on one day, which was January 30th. And it was hip hop for Haiti. And um, and we united by using Ustream at the time. Um, I had everyone stream their concert, their fundraising benefit concert. Um all on the internet and people that, so you didn't have to go all the way to LA for one benefit concert. You could go to Flint. As a matter of fact, Flint did it. Um, Detroit did it. LA did it. New York did it. Like it was like basically people that whether they were organizers or they never organized anything ever in their life, they was like, I want to do something. And I gave everyone the tools on how to be able to organize a fundraising event in their city and, um, 
and it was hip hop for Haiti everywhere. And it was so huge. And we was, we partnered with trusted Haitian organizations within their cities and the national ones that we partnered with at the time was Wyclef as well as a church um, that was able to get all of the supplies to the people of Haiti. And, um, and to see the pictures that we got back from these young, these young children with hip hop, you know, with boxes that had hip hop for Haiti logo on it. And they were so happy to be able to get food and non-perishable items and clothing and all types of stuff. You know, it was just beautiful that we was able to do that. And then um, when Flint happened, you know, it was so crazy, Piper, that when when Flint happened right before I got wind of it, Detroit was already dealing with no water. And people was hitting me up and saying, you need to do hip hop for Detroit. And I was like, well, what's happening in Detroit? It was like, it's a water problem. And I, di I didn't understand what it, you know, what was happening there. And I was like, what do you mean there's a water? They're cutting off water. Like what? You know? And, um, it wasn't until my friend, her, her sister or one of her relatives were in the hospital and she called me crying and she was just like, um, she was like, my sister has lead poisoning and I think she's going to die. And I said, wait, what? Lead poisoning? She's like, from the water here. And I said, the water? And I immediately, now mind you, prior to, in between hip hop for Haiti and hip hop for Flint, there was a lot of like natural disasters, things that happened. And people was just like, you know, do a hip hop for India or do a hip hop for this. or And it, I just, it, it didn't hit, really hit my spirit to do it. And it wasn't until the Flint. And I'm so happy that I got a chance to meet you. I met you through the hip hop caucus. Um, you know, TC gave me your information and was like, Piper's the one that needs to do Detroit, you know? And I'm so happy that you was the, you know, that you're the go-to for Detroit. Anything in Detroit, everyone knows to hit a Piper, um, especially with organizing and any everything. And to be able to have, we had over 52 well, yeah, about 52 cities um, to do. Um, and it was not just in the in the United States, but it was also nationally to do a hip hop for Flint and the impact that hip hop for Flint did globally. And it was so grassroots, which I love. I absolutely love grassroots organizing, but I love the the impact that it did like there. And I, and it's crazy. Eric mentions this all the time, Piper, Eric from Boston that did, um, that did the Boston one, you know, when I put all of you all on the call, when we first organized, I said, um, I said, all of you all are going to, you are, you know, ma many of you all do not know each other, but you all are going to be able to, once you all meet, you all are now building families and you all are going to like, you all are going to be able to be a family after this. And it's so crazy to see all of the organizers in all of those cities and 50 and 52 cities of how everyone still connects in one way, shape or form, you know, and support each other on other endeavors after hip hop for Flint, you know? And so, um, you know, I think that for me, that is the most impactful is to see the bonding and the way that we're able to change lives, um, not just on the cause, but also in the organizing to get to 
to get to the event or to get to the end result is just the way that we bond um, and become family with everything that um, that I happen to organize, you know, and hip hop for Flint and hip hop for Haiti. And then we end up doing hip hop for the people, which was 15 cities for the hurricane in the Caribbean, Florida and um, and Texas. You know, that was just as powerful as well. And so now we have hip hop for foundation. And, um, and so we, I think that it's been that for me, that that's, that's the work that I would love for people to remember me by is that, you know, is that, is that type of organizing and that grassroots organizing and, uh, to unite our people for a good cause. And can you talk a little bit more about, um, you know, because what's interesting Number one, let me just say thank you. Oh, thank you for all of your work. You know, thank you for it because it's thankless work. <laughs> but thank you for all of your work. You know, I don't think that people really understand what goes into the organizing of so many people. But I wanted you to um, talk a bit more because, you know, you were able to get um, an expert to deal with, you know, like, like, uh, um, you know, the switcher to switch from the different, you know, cities so people could watch it. You were able <laughs> to, you know, uh, connect with people that are on the ground so that, um, when we're doing these, um, you know, collective actions, it's not, um, you know, in the land of self-determination that we're listening to people that are being the most impacted, but so that we're learning from the people that are being most impacted in real time, you know, the situation and what's needed and they're involved in their own, you know, um, helping themselves, right? Through being a part of this action, you are able to get with um, well-known hip hop artists, underground hip hop artists, you're able to get people to get venues, you're able to get like so, so much. And you also are, you know, teaching people how to fish, right? How to do for self. Can you speak a bit more? Not to give away your secret sauce. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but like, just speak a bit more about, you know, I won't say your process, but let's just say um, what it is that you think, let me put it this way, what it is that you think that, you know, how, how people can, you know, um, get involved with your movement in a sense and get down with your philosophy, if you will. Um, thank you for that. You know, I think that what it is, is that is the fact that I just, just do it. And, um, and I think the, I would say that the secret is, and, um, is to have friends of all walks of life is to, when you're traveling, do not be afraid to go into the hood, into the body on the res and meet people from all walks of life. And, um, and even within those demographics, you know, go to those that are, you know, low income or even, and then those that are wealthy. So you're able to have friendships of all walks of life. And I, and I've learned, I've learned that from my mother, Juanetta Lone Wolf, how she was able to, she was an amazing, like as a young girl, she taught me, 
Like, come on, she was working for the heavyweight champion of the world, you know what I'm saying? And in a male-dominant industry of boxing. And she was able to just be able to maneuver around these powerful men. And um, and she was my best teacher when I would want to do like when when I was wanting to do little talent shows or wanted to protest against, you know, the police when I was young, you know, she really like showed me how to be able to organize and how to make something be a success. And, um, and I used those tools with, with that. And I also, as a young girl, when my mother would go into these board meetings or meet with the mayor or the governor, you know, I was working the room the same way my mother was working the room. And I think that it's important that we mentor our children on how the, I, I feel that that's true legacy. And then those that are around us, you know, when you have your homegirl with you or your homeboy with you and you're like, oh, I need you to come with me here, you know, have them work the room, have them meet people too, because Lord forbid, if something happens to you, you want that someone to at least carry on those those tools and jewels that you left them, you know? And so um, that has been my number one thing is just having friendships of all walks of life and utilizing social media as well. Um, I feel that everything that I've done after the hip hop for Haiti has been, um, especially hip hop for Haiti, I, I didn't realize how social media could be used as a tool for change. Until I did hip hop for Haiti. And I was like, wow, like <laughs> we could change the world with this thing. It's not about just like talking about how was your day and what you're doing. You know, like we could really make some heavy change. And of course, through time, we have seen that over and over again. But, um, but you know, it's just now we're seeing, you know, back then doing that was very new. And I, I also are another thing too is that thinking outside of the box doing things that are outside of the box, listening to spirit, listening to God, when they're, when God and spirit is telling you, go do this or go do that. And you're like, I think people are going to look at me weird, or they may not process this grand, grandiose idea. <laughs> and, um, because at the time with hip hop for Haiti, you know, people was thinking like I was crazy. They're like, what do you mean a concert? Like, how are you going to do 32 concerts all on one day? And I'm like, because it can be. They're like, wait, but you're not going to be there. I'm like, I don't have to be there because we have the Internet. <laughs> and they're like, but how, you know, it's going to be a success because I'm training and giving the people the tools to do it. You know, what I'm saying like a lot of people thought I was crazy to do that, to do all major fundraising events all on one day. And then when it happened again for hip hop for Flint, people didn't understand it still. They're like, wait, hold up. You know, they're like, I don't get it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think just doing things outside of the box is also another thing too, is like, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and, and um, yeah, is doing that. So that, that, that's, that's my, uh, a little bit of the juice. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing. I mean, and then when we look at, you know, your background, you know, your story is just really, really, really rich and full of, you know, varied, you know, <laughs> varied types of experiences, right? I mean, you've been like a radio host, right? You had your own show on, um, you know, Chuck D's rap station, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you said you were on tour with uh, Raekwon. You were on tour with Wu-Tang, 
you know, um, you were also uh, uh, w- um, with Teen Summit. Were you were you performing and, and, and doing choreography for Teen Summit? Yeah, I used to dance on um, on BET Teen Summit, Planet Groove, and BET Soundstage. Like from 1998 to 2000, every time you turned on BET, you would see me. <laughs> I was like, I was a, I was a hip. Like I fell in love with hip hop when I was little, and I think it was because of the fact that being around all these revolutionaries, I saw that I, I was just like, you know what, this this freedom, this form of of expression is very revolutionary. It is activism in a way. And I was like, man, I could relate to this, you know? And, um, and then hearing the conversations that I would hear these freedom fighters, you know, doc, you know, Dr. Khaled and, and Kwame Torre and just different people, you know what I'm saying? Just like Chief Ernie Longwalker having these deep conversations. And then I'm hearing it with, you know, F the police by NWA. And I'm all like, and it's behind, it's, it's, it's a similar conversations, but it's like with dope beats, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's, and it's, I was like, wow, this is, wow, I could relate to this. And I fell in love with hip hop. So everything that I've done, um, I've always incorporated hip hop. Um, the Honorable Minister Farrakhan said that um, 10,000 of his speeches is equivalent to one hip hop song. That's how powerful one hip hop song can, is, is because he, you know, his, one of his speeches is very powerful, but he said 10,000 of his speeches is equivalent to one hip hop song. That's the impact, you know, of what music can do. Um, Beethoven said that music um, evokes the spirit. So whatever it is that you're evoking, um, whatever spirit that you're evoking with that song is a huge responsibility. And so when we look at the culture of hip hop, you know, I believe that um, I, I um, hold on for one second, my son, get these toys off. I believe that the song, um, these songs, you know, and the culture of hip hop can is a you know, now we see it in commercials and everything like that, but it is also a major soundtrack to um, activism. And we're, you know, we saw that a lot with um, Trayvon Martin and the uprising in Ferguson, you know, in regards to the demographic and the music that was coming along with that. And we're seeing that even more so, you know, so I always incorporate hip hop culture with everything that I do in regards to activism and movements. Yeah. And speaking of culture, you know, you also are very, very active in, um, I'd say the, 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 the indigenous people's movement per se, but, um, you know, you've done a lot of different, um, uh, events centered on, um, you know, uh, like in, in not just indigenous people's day, but you know, you did these, um, res tours, you know, you, you carry your mother's legacy through also through teaching people, right. About, um, you know, that we're, we're, that where we come from, you know, to honor the land, to honor the people, to honor, you know, where, where we are. And so can you talk a bit more about that aspect of your work? 
Yeah. So basically being, um, being black and native American, that is who I am. Um, it's not one or the other. It's, it's one in the same. Um, I mean, one, it's one. And for me, because of the fact that in, in my lineage, um, in my, in my lineage is I am black and native. My mother being full blood, she raised me, um, I was raised by a native a Native American mother. I was, um, and she wanted to make sure that I also know my black side. I always said that she couldn't teach me how to be a black woman because she was native, um, but she surrounded me around amazing black matriarchs, her sister circle of friends. That you know, that was there for me to be able to teach me my black side and to teach me the history and all of that. And my mother, being as traveled and global and international that she was, she wanted to. Not only did she teach me about being um, Lakota um, and the culture and the spirituality aspect of it all, but she also wanted me to learn and know about all of the tribes of North America and as well as learning and understanding the tribes of South America and the Caribbean. And then she'll say, okay, there's tribes in Canada, there's tribes in Africa, there's tribes in Australia, there's tribes in Japan and Asia, there's tribes, you know, so she always wanted to make sure that, you know, I saw the similarities of our people more than our differences. So, Everything, everything that I've done um, has been basically who I am. And it's just like, okay, you know, this is beautiful. When I will go to the reservation, when I'll go back home to South Dakota, you know, um, to me, it looked like the hood. And then when I would go to the hood, you know what I'm saying, in Phoenix, on the south side of Phoenix, I'm like, man, this looks like the res. And then when I go to the west side of Phoenix, you know what I'm saying, I'm like, man, this, you know, this, the barrio <laughs> looks like the res too, or the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always saw the similarities um, more than our differences. So I always made sure that everything that I've organized made, made sure that everyone was being represented. Um, it always boggled me that why everyone else didn't do it. I don't, I I'd always, I, I felt like uh, it within the native community, I'm like, why isn't black and Latinos being represented here? We're all oppressed people dealing with the same type of oppression, you know, um, why aren't they being represented here? When I would go to black conferences or events and I'm like, why isn't Latinos or in, and natives being represented here, you know, why is that? And, and, and I just never understood like why no one else was doing it that way, you know, because for me growing up in Arizona, um, we've all fought, we all had to unite together in order for us to get Dr. Martin King holiday. It was normal for me to go to a Juneteenth and to see native American hoop dancers and to see African dancers and step teams, as well as the mariachi bands and the, um, 
the ballet florica, I think that's how you say ballet florico, you know, to see them perform and all of that, you know, that was normal for me. Um, Same with the, same with the Native American recognition month that my mother used to organize. She not only made sure that all Native Americans was being recognized, but she would also invite black leadership and, um, and schools to come and to, you know, to see and to speak at for Native American recognition, and as well as she also crossed the borders and represented and, and made sure that um, that Mexicans and those that are from Mexico, from the, the south of the border, that was also being represented or also being there as well. And so, growing up in Arizona, I always saw that. And when I left Arizona, it shocked me how divided everyone was. It shocked me how how everyone felt like their problems in their neighborhood was only just them. And it was so isolated, you know what I'm saying? And so they just felt like, like, oh, this is what I'm dealing with and this is what we're dealing, you know, dealing with here. And, and I'm like, well, you do know that there's other people dealing with the same thing. They might be lighter than you. They might speak a different language, but, and then no one ever saw that like that. And I, so I always tried to make sure that, that I created a space where people saw the similarities more than the differences. And that was one of my major objectives with everything that I've organized, you know, and you saw that too, Piper, with hip hop for Flint, how there was like other races and other nationalities on the call and all of that, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. And also too, um, thank you for that. And thank you to your mom and her legacy, you know, and for all the work that that she had done, you know, and everything that she did on this on this earth and, and, and what she instilled in you. And, you know, we I, I personally got to see the diversity because, yeah, we did. OK, you got all these people from across the world, basically to do this event online at the same time. But then you also made sure that everyone that was organizing was, you know, basically, like you said, connecting with one another. And you also knew people in each city. So you like, I know like for me, and I know you did it in other cities, like, okay, connect with this other person that, that you may not know of in your city, right? And bring them in. And also too, once we did all of that, right? And had the one event that was the telethon or the internetathon, then uh, that money that was raised, you did the research to find the actual filters that filter out lead, right? That, um, and then made the effort to do a whole nother event Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. A street party um to give them to give the the filters out and to yes. the people on the ground because you know the government was asking for ID. Mm-hmm. For many of our people, that might be a challenge, ID. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just making sure that people could just come and get a filter and that we were teaching them how to use the filter. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just give it to them. Show them how to use it. And there was food given away. There was performances. There was basketball. It was at a community center, and you had the health department out there. I mean, it was just amazing the way you brought so many elements together. So your organizing is very thoughtful. You Thank know, you. 
And you make sure that not only, you know, are people uh, just being aware of the issue, but that they actually connect with people, you know, to make sure that that they're actually being like thoughtful about the people. Right. Centering like you do people centered organizing. That's what I would say. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. And it was it was crazy, too, because like um, it, it was it's it's difficult in that space too, because having to constantly tell everyone, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about the people we helping, you know, cause a lot of people want to make it about them. They want, you know, they want their name everywhere. They want their, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's like, no, it's about, it's about who we're helping. You know, you're going to, you're going to get blessed. You know, the organizers are going to get blessed. You're going to get blessed. But at this moment, you know, make sure your intentions are for the people. And I think that that right there, and even like, get, you know, reaching out to some of the celebrities and all of that, and, you know, just making them know that. And I, I, I believe I've been blessed with having celebs that have just been very like, no, I want to help because this is amazing. Not because I want my name all over the place. You know, I think I've been blessed in that space of those celebs that have reached out. And so they wanted to help, you know. Um, and then there'll be celebs that be like, use me, <laughs> use me to make this bigger. You know what I'm saying? So I think that that's good too. <laughs> and then talk about, you know, um, just to switch gears a little bit, talk about being a mom because you're also a full-time mom and you put just as much effort into raising, you know, a, a beautiful human, <laughs> right. As, as you do uh saving people. So can you talk about, you know, motherhood and 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 how you're able to be as present as a mother, you know, as you are in this work? Thank you. Um it's, you know, I have two incredible sons, Chiron and Shamar. One's 19, the other is 9, and I think that, you know, just like as my mom did with me was having them making sure that they're there. Uh, making sure that they're involved, uh, making sure that I'm, um, you know, asking them on advice or what do you think about this or, how, you know, and just having them participate in the organizing part is very, very important. Um, and plus it also, they kind of get a chance to, that's bonding for us as well. You know, I do make sure that I find time for mommy and son time, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, it's time. It's what do you want to do? Where you want to go? What you want to do? You know what I'm saying? Just making sure that finding that time for them is important too. So I do try to balance that out. And I also have an amazing support system of, um, of a brotherhood and a sisterhood that just be like, you know, I'm here to help you with your son when I know you have to go here or go there, you know? So I think that that has been something that I've been very, very blessed with. Yeah, it's amazing because as you, you know, if anybody follows you on your socials or even just talks to you, the first thing that you notice is that, you know, you're you're centering your, you know, your sons first, you know, mm -hmm. and that's really, really, really important. Um, and it's really beautiful to see, you know, see you with them and them involved and you know, and their enthusiasm with things too, you know, as young people. Um, so thank you for, you know, sharing them with everyone, you know, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sons for 
for their investment in the work, you know, thank you. Cause that's not easy being a kid in these times. I yeah. 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 It's not. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, you have, we talked a little bit or a lot of it about your event that you do, you know, in Atlanta, but also too, can you talk of how, um, your pivot happened, like how you were able to pivot, um, during COVID? Um, good Lord, I would say for me, um, that was difficult for the cold. Well, the COVID thing wasn't difficult in regards to quarantine. Like I didn't go into a huge shock because I'm constantly, I'm a huge walking dead fanatic. I love, um, <laughs> and I all, and I also too, just the way of being a, uh, a movement baby, you know, we always was taught of the sign of the times of what's to come, how to prepare when the world is about to end and things like that, you know? So I was, I grew up around, you know, um, in the movement of just consciousness of people knowing like, okay, the dollar is not going to always have a value to it. You know, you need to learn how to live on the land and things like that. Um, and how to prepare and stock up and things like that. So that wasn't, a shock for me. I was just more so like, you know, me and my son, um, I think with him going to online school that for me, that was the most like, oh, okay, all right, we're going to have to transition in this. Let me make this fun for him. You know, um, I, I would say within the activism, when I saw the video of Ahmaud Arbery, something switched in me because I was just like in a time where we we know that black men have been being murdered by white supremacists. You know, we've been seeing that for, for centuries. Um, and of course we've been on the front line with that, um, you know, a lot in a, and, um, but the one with Ahmaud Arbery that did something to my spirit in a different way, just because damn the time that, we are trying to all survive and not be murdered by this disease of COVID, this virus of COVID. They still do not know how to leave us alone. You know, white, like you still don't like all he was doing was jogging and they still have to like, just, just continue to just put more of a needle in that wound. You know what I'm saying? And, and it was just like, Oh, so I went, I got out of quarantine and I went down to um, Brunswick, Georgia, and I met with the family of Ahmaud Arbery. I met with the friends, the neighbors. I went into the neighborhood. I actually saw the truck that they used to hunt him down and to shoot him like he was an animal. And um, I met with the neighbors. It's a very diverse community. They all knew Ahmad. Um, they said Ahmad will run every single day because he was he was an athlete. And so the neighbors knew this. The, 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 the community of Brunswick, of the neighborhood that he lived in, was very diverse. It wasn't predominantly black and it wasn't predominantly white. It was Asians, Indians, Latinos, like... Jews and there was a whole bunch of people in that neighborhood, Chinese, you know, um, in that neighborhood. And so that, that hit me another way. Um, then we see a month later of George Floyd 
And that I was just like, oh, man, like we can, like, how are we going to be able to hit these streets and show our outrage in the middle of a pandemic? And so I got my gas mask on. And in less than 24 hours, I organized a solidarity march for George Floyd in the city of Atlanta at the CNN building. And um, I was already, I had, they found some stuff in my lungs in December, last year, December, and, um, or December, January of just last year. And so they ended up, um, they thought it was asthma. They didn't know what it was. They was like, we think it's asthma, but we're just going to do a biopsy. So they did a biopsy in April um, to see what was in my lungs. And when they did the biopsy um, on the day that I organized the solidarity march, I had to go to the hospital to give my results of what they saw in my lungs. And I go in and the doctor was like, all right, you want the good news or the bad news? And I said, just give it to me, doc. I'm about to go down to the CNN building. I'm doing a protest for, you know, on behalf of George Floyd. And he was like, oh man, I heard about that. That's good that you're doing that. And he was just like, all right, well, you have andiocarcinoma. And I just screamed because I know what that meant because my mother had andiocarcinoma. She has, well, it ended up turning into small cell carcinoma and um, which was lung cancer. And I was just like, wait, what? And he said, you have lung cancer. And I'm like, what? And I've never smoked. You know, I, I just was like, how in the hell did I get lung cancer? You know, and I had to, and I immediately, um, I was just like, you know what? I just worry about this later. Let me go and be on a front line for our people. And I was just like, I'm in the middle of a pandemic and, um, they're killing us. They're killing black men in the middle of a pandemic. I'm losing friends to COVID. I just lost two people that was close to friends of the family that was close to us that died of COVID. And then I find out I have lung cancer in the middle of all of this. And I was just like, what the hell? And, and I look at all of it, Piper. And as you know, like Tamika Mallory and the until freedom family is a, is a, is a, you know, a movement family of ours, you know, um, and with Brianna Taylor, I, I, and, and now this is like prime time of activism. Like this is the time, like, so what ended up happening in Atlanta, they end up turning it into a riot and the mayor Keisha Bottoms ends up reaching out with, through TI and, and I end up organizing with the city and trying to make changes and they kill Rashard Brooks. Like it was, <laughs> it was so much stuff happening back to back to back. <clears throat> and I was just like, oh my God. And it was prime time. And I felt like, okay, I need to get to Louisville. I need to get out on the streets in Atlanta. I need to. And then I was like, I have lung cancer. I can't be out here. Or if I catch COVID, that will be horrible for me, you know? And, and I believe that that was God's way of saying, sit your ass down. <laughs> Sit your ass down and young people that I've been mentoring that gave me a call and said, Queen, you have taught us, you have given us the tools 
on how to organize, on how to make changes. You can mentor us from your house. We can't lose you. We need you to be home. We got this. And that was so difficult for me because I wanted to be outside. I'm seeing all of my comrades. I'm seeing my movement family basically all across the nation fighting and protesting and, you know, and everything. And I'm just like, I can't be out there. You know, I'm, I'm you know, as a, for a minute you start, you know, missing the chance, you know what I'm saying? Like the no justice, no peace. No, you know what I'm saying? Like you start missing the chance and all of that. And I'm just like, I have to switch this all off and I have to turn this all off. I have to turn off the news. I'm going to have to turn all of this off and I'm going to have to go inward for my healing. And that's exactly what I did. And to the point where that's why I started revolutionary healing. And that's the reason why I was like, there has to be another way to help our people because I still wanted to help our people. I just cannot help our people in the, in the place that I was helping in within police brutality and, and in that space. And I was like, I'm going to have to go another route. And what is this new route? And it is revolutionary healing. And so I believe that there has been about 50 people, um, maybe more, that have been affected by the the poisons that they poured on us when we was in Standing Rock. And some of the people have been diagnosed with cancer, different forms of cancer. And, um, and I believe that that's how I got lung cancer was being in Standing Rock or it got activated because I ended up finding out that I have genetic cancer and that something can happen to in order for it to activate. And so I believe it got activated when I was in Standing Rock. When they were spraying us, we ended up finding out that they were spraying us with a poison that they kill prairie dogs with. And I actually have video of what tear gas and then this yellow stuff they were spraying on us. And I believe that that's the way that this cancer got activated in my lungs and now in my cervix is now that I'm battling cancer throughout my body right now. And um, and so it was a, you know, it was a difficult thing for me, sis, you know, to be able to actually be forced to turn off one switch and then to look and, and to be selfish for the first time. And um, as you know, sis, I've been, I'm always giving, giving, giving. And now I'm having to retrain and discipline myself to give to me. And um, which is very difficult. <laughs> and I have, I have people around me that remind me, no, let us do for you. And I'm like, no, but I could do it. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, we got you. And, and you have a team. And I'm like, what? You know, because <laughs> my last name is Lone Wolf. I've been so used to kind of like, you know, moving on the beat of my own drum and, and, <laughs> and, um, and being a leader of a pack or, you know, or, creating a pack and then going on the, on the other side, you know what I'm saying? So this is, this, it's been very humbling for me, but I, I believe that, um, it may have saved my life. I don't know what would have happened if I went to Minneapolis, if I went to Louisville, you know, um, I don't know where, I, what would have happened. Cause I, I already know me, I would have been right there 
on the front line <laughs> with, um, you know, with everyone else. And probably my, maybe God was saving me from many things um, in that space. Wow. You were telling your story and I had to put myself on mute because I got choked up. Hmm. Um, so, man, you are so strong. I know we're not supposed to tell people they're strong, but you are so strong. And I just think that that is so beautiful and just want to appreciate you, um, you know, your spirit and just all that you've been doing and all you've done and um, things you've built, you know, and, 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 and all that you give. So just wanted to um, Thank you. just give you much gratitude, you know? Um, Thank you. And I'm also, you know, I'm happy that you have decided to, you know, create this beautiful event because you, you, like you said, you're, it's just a different formation. Yeah. You know, it's the same. Yeah. It's just a different formation. So, yeah, it's new work. Yeah. And I'm realizing now that, you know, we're having mothers that have lost their children to police brutality coming to revolutionary healing. Mm. Because they need this space. They need this healing. We're having activists, you know, that are just still you know, being on the front line, literally being on the front line in these streets and all of that can be, it's like, a, it's, you are at war and you do get triggered and you do deal with levels of PTSD. You know, even to this day, I can't, you know, if I hear a flashbang, I jump, you know, or I'm sorry, I, if I hear like someone like hit the, I mean, close their door very hard, I jump because it reminds me of a flashbang. Or it reminds me of a bullet, you know, it reminds me of something that of being out there, whether it was Ferguson, Standing Rock, Baltimore, whatever, you know, I'm just like, I jump, you know. And so um, not being in that space since um, I would say since July has really just like has done wonders to my spirit and to the way I, I look at things, you know, and um, because I'm not on the front line like that, you know, and I'm like, wow. But um, but with that is is also creating a space and a welcoming, a safe space for organizers and activists and, you know, to come and, and to come to be able to like, OK, you can share these stories and people, we all understand it. You know, not every therapist is like, you know, therapist can understand when you're like, yeah, I was in Standing Rock. And they're like, what's Standing Rock? What, what happened in Standing Rock? Like, you know, you're like, God, you know, elite, but you're around other people that actually was in Standing Rock that knows what that feels like, or people that were, that grew up in the hood and knows what that's, what that was like, you know what I'm saying? In regards to like, you know, crime or whatever happened, you know, or, um, or other mothers and fathers that have lost their loved ones to police brutality and having a safe space for them to really, really talk and share and uh, being around others that also know what that feels like, you know? And so that's what revolutionary healing is. And I really feel like we all need, we all need this. So I think it kind of forced me to another level. I think sometimes, you know, you have to deal with something um, that's going to, you know, I, I feel that God has given me grace right now. I feel, and it's a wonderful thing to have grace, you know, um, 
that was one of the things that with this cancer, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die, you know? And, and I had to look at it in another way. We all know that we're going to go. Um, we just many times don't know how we're going to go. But when you're faced with this is a possibility that this is how you're going to go, you begin to look at life and your choices differently. You begin to be more selective and purpose-driven on what you say and what you do. So right now, everything that I say and everything that I do is within a purpose because it might be my last opportunity for me to say what it is I need to say. And hopefully that will be able to inspire and empower someone. Or now, you know, um, like now I'm traveling, like I'm like, yo, I'm going, I'm using my passport and going out the country. I've never been out the country. I've only been to Cuba. And I'm like, now I'm going. And the people are like, what, in the middle of pandemic and you got, you know, and you got lung cancer. And I'm like, well, when am I going to do this then? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, this is, I, I'm going to be safe and I'm praying that God covers me, you know, but I have to live and God is giving me grace right now. I, I, my hair fell out. So my hair is in a short haircut right now, but I, I feel that I look fly. I'm not sickly looking, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I don't, um, I have my day. where I don't who I use it you know um even lately I've been having a lot more energy like it's back to the old me of energy and I'm just like okay what am I gonna do with this energy you know what I'm saying and I just I'm using it because God has given me grace grace to be able to to talk to my you know have these conversations and do this podcast with you you know I've been saying no to a lot of interviews because I haven't had the energy you know and um but it's grace. And I thank Allah. I thank Allah for this grace that he's giving me, this time that he's giving me, um, you know, that the cancer isn't succumbing my body where I'm like tied to the bed, you know what I'm saying, where I can't do anything. Like, he's like, you know, um, you got it, but this is, now you're going to be more purpose-driven. Now you're going to be, you know, now you're really going to be very, very precise on what it is that you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is. And I, and I love it. I love it. And I thank God for this grace. Wow. What a beautiful testimony, you know, <laughs> what an amazing, powerful testimony. I want to just say one thing before we go, you know, I was so mm -hmm. proud of you. I mean, all the time, I'm so proud of you, all the stuff. I <laughs> but that moment with women's March that happened when I think it was like Alyssa Milano and the rest of the white women. Mm -hmm. I didn't have um, Tamika Mallory's back with yeah. regard to, um, you know, the minister. And um, you were very supportive. You were a person, I would say with a, with a, um, with recognition and a name, you know, that was very mm -hmm. supportive of um, Tamika at that time. And I just really appreciate that because there, there's those of us who, you know, reached out to wrap our arms around her, you know, but our visibility isn't as much as a person like you where, you know what I'm saying? When people see that, they see that it's good and it's okay and necessary for 
you know, black women to wrap our arms around other black women, especially when it's um, something like that. Right. Because that kind of gets that that's where like politics, celebrity and entertainment kind of cross and people, you know what I mean? Like, you know how people in the industry get kind of cowardly, you know, mm-hmm. to uh to stand around people, you know? But mm-hmm. uh, I just wanted to give you, you know, that because you basically stood up and what all of the rest of us were, mm-hmm. you know? And it was stuff that I had text Tamika, but for you to like be very visible and vocal and use your platform, you know understand what I'm saying? Like, thank um, you. That meant that meant like a lot. Like that type of power that you show that really really resonates, and it really, um, I feel like it really gave me strength, you know. Mm. Um, and I think you know it was terrible that Tamika had to go through that, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was not fair, and it was horrible. It was an attack. And it was just the the lowest of the low of everything, anything that you could do to a person. And um, but you're that type of person, you know, you you are a fighter. You fight for people. You stand with people when it's unpopular or, you know, whether it's, you know, because it's the right thing to do. So I just wanted to, you know, just tell you thank you for that. I'm not sure. if Thank you. That people look to you, you know, for for some strength. Like, w- w- you know, we see you as a powerful, you know, strong person, and and you're a person that is like, you know, your strength gives other people strength. So I'm not sure if you, maybe you know that, but I'm not sure if you do know that. No, I didn't. Thank you so much, and and I thank you. Um, that means a lot, and you know, the situation with Tamika, with um, the way that everyone was trying to dim her light and to, you know, to put it, you know, just because of her, you know, her relationship and and love for the Honorable Miss Louis Farrakhan and for Black people. You know, one thing about, you know, I've been blessed to have met Tamika during, um, in 2000, and five, when she was working with the um, with the National Action Network with Reverend Al Sharpton, um, we didn't get close until 2015, as she was the executive director for the million for the the 20th anniversary for the Million Man March, and I was also on the executive planning committee, and so her and I got very close, um, as well as my son and and Carmen. Um, got very close organizing for that. And then from there, it just, we just got closer. And I think that the thing was, is that I know what the sacrifice that she has made for the people. I know where the, that she doesn't speak about, you know, um, the sacrifices of financial sacrifice, you know what I'm saying? That she has made just for someone else to have when she doesn't have. And the things that she has done, you know, um, was is just, I'm just like, you know what? She really, really loves Black people. And for her to, to be, you know, treated that way by white women, 
And to see what hurt me the most was to see certain black people also denounce, trying to denounce Tamika because Tamika wouldn't denounce Minister Farrakhan was the most just like, I was just like, how dare they? There hasn't been everyone, every black leader is going to get the Farrakhan litmus test. You know, um, President Obama got it. You know, the litmus test is basically, you know, do you denounce Minister Farrakhan? And if they say no, then and they, you know, money and, and endorsements or support, they really, really treat that person horrible. If they say yes, then they're like, oh, okay, then we're going to give you the world. But what they don't know is that when they say no, um, when they say yes, that they would denounce the minister Farrakhan is that they end up losing the love of the black people that helped them get in that position as a black leader and within black leadership. And so... Tamika, um, when Tamika was put in this position, you know, of course she wouldn't, she never denounced Minister Farrakhan. She also, she said she would never denounce any black man. You know what I'm saying? Like the way that she carried that behind you know what I'm saying? Behind closed doors and in front of the stage was exactly the same. She never switched up. Um, the people that I saw, I just saw people for who they really are and not what they appear to be. I saw black leadership switch up on her. And that hurt me because she didn't deserve any of that. And it just goes to show that how many um, people that tap dance for the white man and for white supremacy for his liking and and doesn't and they're doing it for show, but that don't genuinely love black people. And it was certain folks that I was just like, wow, here we thought that these celebrities, black celebrities or these black activists or whatever really love black people. They love our black dollars. They love our black culture. They say that they're black, but they do not, they do not really love us, you know, um, behind closed doors. And, and I saw a lot of that with the whole situation that went down with Tamika Mallory and Piper, you know that I, with everyone behind closed doors and in, and on, on public platforms, I stood with Tamika as long as Tamika continued to stand for black people. And that's in the love I stand with anyone that say that they love black people and their actions show and prove that behind closed doors and in front of the stage. And that's exactly where to me, what Tamika is and that. And so the popularity that she is getting right now, she deserves everything that's coming to her. The Beyonce shout outs, the book that she's releasing, the, the podcast that she has, the the television, the inner, everything, you know, what I'm saying all of the new followers, all of that stuff, because she worked from the ground up all the way to where she's at. And she deserves it because her heart and her love is for the people. And that right there has not has always been very, very consistent. And she also does know the responsibility, the responsibility that comes with that.
And I believe that she was mentored by some amazing people that have mentored her, you know, that have been in her ear and telling her this or pulling her on that or whatever. And one of them is the Honorable Miss Louis Farrakhan. And, and she's learned a lot from him. You know what I'm saying? Where, um, as I did, as I have and still am too. And one of them is something in regards to the undying love that you have for black people. You cannot say the blood of the people are on your hands. Your responsibility, if you are an activist, a leader, an organizer, you are doing it for the love of the people. It doesn't matter how much money you get or how popular you become, that should never switch up. And if it does switch up, then you need to change your circle of people. And then you, uh, because someone's not pulling your car, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I, um, I don't mind, you know, one thing I learned from the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan is that he could care less on what endorsements or what, you know, or even people that he may thought was his friend. As long as he spoke the truth, even when it's uncomfortable, he's always said the truth. And as my as my mentor, as my father, that is something that I have learned from him is that no matter what, no matter how uncomfortable it is, I will always speak the truth and I will stand up for truth. So with Tamika, you know, for me, I can't be bought and I can't be sold. And so being right there with Tamika, especially during that time period was a very difficult time. You know, um, I cried many, many nights with her you know, we both was crying <laughs> on many times. We both was just like, you know, because we, the whole world was attacking her and she did not deserve none of that. But looking at her come up now, you know, it was like, you know, um, all of that was public, but then her, her come up right now was public too. So it goes to show you don't have to denounce me as the Farrakhan <laughs> in order for in order for people to support you because people are supporting. She did not denounce Minister Farrakhan and she's not bought and she's not sold. And she's still in the, the 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 love that people have for her is incredible. You know what I'm saying? And the popularity she's getting and she's built for it. That's another thing, too. You know, I told her God ain't going to put too much on you that you can't handle. You know what I'm saying? And so you built for this because what's to come, you're not going to even recognize this Tamika today. And I said that to her, um, what was that, three years ago? You know what I'm saying? I said that to her then. I said, you're not going to recognize the Tamika that you're going to see in about three to five years. You know, you're not going to recognize the, this woman that's, hap that's going through this now. And so, you know, I was like I said, because your come up is going to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a prophetic word I gave her, you know. It what I'm was. Saying? It was. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, just your, like I said, your courage, right? I mean, and also to, you know, by, you know, Minister, the Honorable Minister Farrakhan being your relative, your grandfather, you also, you know, have a perspective that others don't have, you know, because because for us, the, he's a public figure. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, we, you know, um, and, you know, for the masses. Right. He's a public figure. 
Mm-hmm. And for you, he is, you know, that's your family, right? You mm-hmm. have different, you know, relationship, different perspective. And I'm sure, you know, for you, it it probably maybe felt double personal, you know? It did. Oh, it did. Oh, that's the reason why I was crying. I was like, what? Like, it did. <laughs> it really, really did. And, and um, but I was used to it too. You know, I mean, being, um, being a part of the family, you know, especially in the nineties, good Lord. I mean, the nineties, that was a huge, huge time of every time you turn on the news, Minister Farrakhan was in the news and it was misconstruing every word that he said or speech or, you know, and just making him out like he was this evil, evil man. And so at school or in public, you know, I had to constantly defend him constantly. So I was, me and my family, we are, we were used, we've been used to defending Farrakhan. And so, you know, um, so by helping Tamika through during that time, you know, I'm like, I'm like, girl, we, I'm used to defending him. Like <laughs> we're, we're, we're used to it, you know what I'm saying? So I, I would say that, um, yeah, it was, it was something that we was constantly just so used to doing growing up, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I just think, you know, your life is just so you need to have a few you you know how uh you see these documentaries you need like a docu-series or <laughs> just to get all of the things that you've done in your life you know uh <laughs> just to get those stories told but um i just i appreciate this time that you've given you know in the middle of your healing in the middle of your organizing envisioning and meditation and all of that. I appreciate this time that you've given to just like share, you know, about your story, um, you know, on my platform, you know, it means so much to me. You know, I honor you. I look up to you. I consider you one of my mentors, even though I'm older than you, I consider you one of my mentors, you know, Mm -hmm. same here. Yeah. You have such vision, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) You know, you. such a beautiful vision. And also, too, you back it up. Mm. You know, we say in hip hop, like your word is your bond. Like mm. you definitely back up your word. So, yeah, I mean, I know you've we've you know, we you've you've said your event and everything at the beginning. But as we close, I wanted you to also, you know, give the information again about you know, the, the event, the frequency, and also too how folks can get involved, you know, um, in supporting you and, you know, and, and your channels and things like that. Um, it is, um, your, the revolutionary healing.com. Um, and my social media, I'm the only Anajaha in the world It's queen Y O N A S D A. Um, so it's, looks like yo Nazda, but it's your Najaha. Um, so any, any of, any of Facebook, Twitter, whatever, um, and then as well as queenyanajaha.com, but I'm the only Najaha in the world. So if you put that in, you'll find me. <laughs> 
So yeah, thank you so much, Piper. This was amazing. I shared so much that I haven't shared in a long time. <laughs> well, wow. or, or I haven't shared at all. Some of this was exclusive for you. Okay. So thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you. And then you have some, um, you have like, um, uh, a way that folks can, um, like donate to you, right? Yes, it is. Um, um, if you just go on my page on queenyanajaha.com on my Instagram or anything, um, yeah, you could just click the donate button and, and do that. That would be a blessing. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. We want to make sure that folks are contributing to your healing fund, you know, and also, you know, the work that you have that, that you're carrying forward. Cause it's for taking care of you is taking care of us, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So thanks for this time. Um, I'm definitely going to be going on your socials to uh, keep up with you. And I appreciate your newsletter as well. And I want to send you so much love and appreciation. Thank you. And so for everyone, um, this has been the Piper Carter podcast. We're on the Detroit is Different Network. You can check us out on all streaming platforms. Please share. We are on social media with Piper Carter podcast, join our Facebook group and join the conversation. And also on Instagram, we are pc.podcast. You know, let your friends know and um, share this interview because we want people to donate to Yanajaha's uh, healing fund and support all the great work um, that she has going on. And we'll see you next week. to the Piper Carter podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. Subscribe, like, and share on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher to the Piper Carter podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of Piper Carter. Follow Piper Carter on Instagram at Piper Carter. Piper Carter.